0: Hello and welcome to the Minds in the Frontline podcast, brought to you by the Frontline Strong Together 5 program. FST 5 provides streamlined access to behavioral and mental health services, as well as crisis resources for Michigan's Frontline 5 workers and their families. This includes all professional, part-time, and volunteer firefighters, EMS, law enforcement, corrections officers, and 911 dispatchers in Michigan, and their immediate family members. FST5 was collaboratively created by first responders and mental health experts to provide 24-7 live support, effective resources, and cutting-edge services to prevent and alleviate PTSD, anxiety, depression, and other frontline work-related mental and behavioral health challenges. Need help now? If you are a frontline worker in Michigan or an immediate family member experiencing any crisis, work-related, substance abuse, depression, relationships, finances, or any other, reach out by calling 1-833-34-STRONG or go to fst5.org for more information. I'm Jeff Lassers, one of the hosts of the Minds on the Frontline podcast, and I'm a professional firefighter, paramedic, educator, and content creator. Minds on the Frontline is co-hosted by Mike Mattern, who is also a professional firefighter and paramedic. In addition, Mike is a peer support team member for his fire department and the Frontline Strong Together 5 program, as well as the chair of the Michigan Professional Firefighters Union Behavioral Health Committee, and a board member of the Michigan Crisis Response Association. Mike has training and experience with frontline worker mental and behavioral health. On the other hand, I do not. My role is to produce the show, whereas Mike is our resident subject matter expert. Together, we hope to inform, educate, and entertain frontline workers, their families, and the public regarding the realities of frontline work-related mental and behavioral health challenges. We are also joined by Manisha Leary, who is the Program Manager of FST5 and a clinical therapist with a focus on trauma. In December 2023, a personal matter took my family and I to California. During our stay, I reached out to the United Firefighters of Los Angeles City Center for Health and Wellness. The center is committed to the health and welfare of Los Angeles City Fire Department. This includes LAFD personnel and their families, and they provide round-the-clock access to mental health professionals, addiction specialists, and family therapists at no charge. The UFLAC Center also offers a robust peer support team, featuring about 115 well-prepared peers, guaranteeing that no LAFD member or their family must handle life's hurdles in isolation. The center's services span a range of needs, from suicide prevention to critical instant stress management, assuring members that help is always just a phone call or a text away. Observing the parallels between the UFLAC Center's mission and the goals of the FST-5 program was enlightening, highlighting the universal need for robust support systems for those on the front lines of service. Seizing the opportunity, I proposed a podcast session with the UFLAC Center to exchange insights on effective mental and behavioral health support strategies. We took this as a chance to compare notes on what's been successful and what can be improved. For an in-depth discussion, we invited Dr. Melissa O'Keefe, a dedicated clinician at the UFLAC Center for Health and Wellness. Dr. O'Keefe shares the center's mission and we delve into the effectiveness of various support services offered. We also tackle the critical question of what barriers hinder frontline workers from seeking mental and behavioral health support and we explore potential solutions. This was a great episode, and we really enjoyed having Dr. O'Keefe on the show. Please check us out on YouTube, Instagram, and Facebook, and make sure to like and subscribe to all Minds on the Frontline Podcast social media channels. Thank you, and enjoy the show. Hi, guys. Hey, hey what's doing? going on? Oh, how you know, it? just getting suntanned. I got my vitamin D from the sky
1: today. Yeah. Yeah. It sounds terrible. You're hanging out in uh, California and we're back here in Michigan where it may snow today. So Somebody yeah. has
0: to go out and make friends. And yep. a, yep. oh, I yeah. didn't want you to have it's to suffer jet lag.
1: <laughs> tough life you're living. Tough life. It was yeah. tough.
0: But here we yeah. are. And I made a friend, Melissa. Melissa, tell everybody who you are, what you do, and where you do it.
2: Okay. I'm um, Dr. Melissa O'Keefe. I'm a licensed marriage and family therapist. I work for the UFLAC Center for Health and Wellness, which is the United Firefighters of Los Angeles City. Um, the union, they—I want to do a quick shout out. They Please. support us so much. They uh, uh, make this all possible. We have an old fire station that they've turned into a wellness center, and um, the union really backs us up and gives us the support we need so that we can take care of the members the best we can.
0: That's awesome. This is a really cool place. Yeah, I showed up. It's an old firehouse that's been decommissioned and turned into a wellness center that still feels like a firehouse. It's a lot cleaner than a firehouse. Yeah. you know, you don't smell exhaust. There's no oil spills anywhere. Nobody left their popsicle sticks between any chairs with a bunch of ants. It's actually like adults are here
1: in a firehouse. <laughs> so it's, there was no fireman in that house is what you're telling me with all this. <laughs> there,
0: there's certainly no probies picking up around here. That's just nice all the time.
1: <laughs> Let me guess. There's probably toilet paper on the roll too. <laughs> yes, definitely.
0: Weird. Yeah, crazy, crazy thought to imagine. That's actually a problem where we work. So yeah. Melissa, uh, talk more about what this place is and its mission. What do you do and how do you do it?
2: Okay, we are uh, marriage and family therapists, and we work to provide free, confidential, accessible, supportive, and um, very timely uh, mental health services to our members. Members, I mean, uh, firefighters in the union.
0: Fantastic. So you guys provide that to, it's thousands of members here.
2: Yeah. And their families. We also include the family.
0: Okay. Wonderful. And that's really why we're here is to kind of compare the fact that you have been offering similar services to what FSD5 is doing, where we're, you know, we're a little bit expanded, a little bit different, but what we're saying is a giant pile of frontline workers and they're going to need mental and behavioral health services. You're doing that for thousands of people. Although we have a bigger population that we're aiming at, I think there's some real wisdom we can pull from you. And that's really why we're here for today is to take this information back home and learn something. So understanding the bigger picture of the mission of UFLAC, it starts with letting people know there's help. Yes. Right. And that's one thing we're experiencing at FST5 is that the first thing you got to do is after you got the help actually prepared and all the logistics handled, is letting everybody know there's a doorway or a website or a phone number or a text line that they can access this help. Mm -hmm. Start there. How do you guys do that?
2: We have a bunch of different approaches. We have wellness fairs put on by our department um, psychologists, and we have five times a year we go out to different stations and different places in L.A., and we are there all day, firefighters are coming through, they're meeting us, they're putting a face to the name, we're introducing ourselves, and it's kind of a nice social gathering. So they see us there, and then we work with the probationary firefighters when they start, we work with their family members when they come to family night. Then we work again with them when they graduate. We're just always kind of showing up and like, oh, me again. Remember me? And just trying to be welcoming and smile. And I always tell them, you know, I'm from a big, wild Irish family. You know, I have my own big, wild Irish family that I've raised. And so you're not going to shock me. You're not going right. to. We're never going to shame you, make you feel bad. You're just always welcome to come. And we're, we're just here to support
0: So it sounds like a lot of what we're trying to do is just kind of integrate into the community. And is that working for you to just kind of like passively be there, just leave the door open? Mm
2: -hmm. Yes, that's what we try to do. We try to show up, be welcoming and kind and, you know, just available. And then what happens is somebody will come and they'll like us and then they'll tell their friend and then they'll send their wife and then now their kids coming and, you know. Trust is a huge issue, right? So once they trust us, we're golden, and they're sending everybody to us all the time. So that's sort of what it's been, word of mouth, showing up at different events, going on ride-alongs, doing station visits, like whatever we can do, um, we just show up as needed, and then we just try to have like a gentle approach, but also like a real availability. We, We have a policy where we get back to people within 24 hours, but... Basically, it's more like one hour, two hours because we have cell phones on us and we answer and we get people in right away because we know mental health needs to be addressed right away and that's one of the biggest problems is getting people in quickly. So we're very timely and the union was very generous to get us another therapist right away when we asked so that we could keep meeting the needs in a timely manner.
0: so you guys are being utilized so much is that you're expanding that and i think that's where you know that's a good sign it's not that you have more sick people Mm -hmm. it's that you have more people utilizing a system that's built for them because we all know like it's like healthcare. how many people just don't go in for Mm -hmm. "Ah, i don't know that spot on my back Mm -hmm. whatever it's just a spot on my back Mm -hmm. right they don't go get the help yeah mike how many times have we said if a firefighter or cop buddy of yours says, Hey, call this person. They'll handle that fill in the blank. Whether you're buying a car, going to a restaurant, right?
1: Absolutely. I think that's the, uh, you get almost like the stamp of approval. You know, you get the, Hey, call this person. I got this problem. Oh, here's a number. Call this guy. He's good. He'll take care of you. Tell him I called. That's kind of the same concept that you're talking about. Uh, in relation to that, You know, does uh, Los Angeles City have peer support and how do they integrate within your system as well?
2: Oh, that's a great question. We have a wonderful fear support team. We just trained a whole new batch in the spring and they are magnificent. They're motivated. They're really friendly with the idea of mental health. The stigma isn't there as much with the, you know, the younger group coming in and they're also helping to integrate mental health. They have their own podcasts. They're really active. They come in and do trainings for us from what, from their perspective so that we can get more culturally competent all the time. And so we're always open to that. We're open to learning. We feel like. We might study everything, and we even have a a therapist on hand that her dad is a retired captain. But... Um, what's the most important thing is we understand the culture from that perspective, but we're always open to learning. So that cultural humility piece, right? That's the part that we're always just like, yes, and tell me more. I'm curious. And when we have the good rapport, then they are more than happy to tell us, you know, oh, no, you got it wrong. It's not this, it's that. Oh, yeah, right. Okay, you know, so it's more like that. We don't try to know everything, but what we do, we do our homework. We try to be, you know, really competent, but at the same time, we're also like, willing to learn and humble enough to know that we aren't first responders. We don't know everything, you know, we're really just here to
1: support. With that being said, you know, taking that type of approach, which I think that's the best approach that you can take when it comes to being a clinician working with first responders with With that approach and the addition of peer support and those types of things, have you kind of seen a shift in the culture of the department where before it was a few people would talk about mental health and then it was, you know, everybody else was kind of, you know, sitting with their arms folded and "Ah, we don't need that stuff. Have you seen a shift in the culture of the department to where now the majority is more pro-mental health versus before?
2: Absolutely. We have our firefighters leading the way and then in supporting us and shouting us out on their podcasts and, you know, things like that. And we're coming on their podcasts and talking so people can get to know who we are and what we're about. And then our captains and our chiefs are calling us all the time. You know, I've got this guy, you know, take care of him. And we're like, we get on it right away. You know, so everybody works together. We've got dispatch. We've got everybody that's got our cell phone numbers and people call us and we respond right away. I think that's really the key to our program is that the
3: quick response. Dr. O'Keefe, can you describe, uh, both of us being clinicians, we know that kind of the work that we do in general is very different seeing a first responder than kind of like traditional, you know, um, depression or anxiety or, or trauma patients. So can you describe how your clinicians in in the center take that approach of making sure that they're ready and able to understand the first responder world? Yes. You know, I um... I think one of the biggest things is our our
2: own firefighters come on and and give trainings from their perspective and help us with that. And then also, um, we understand the importance of like listening. We don't jump in right away. We sit back, we listen, we conceptualize, you know, we're always kind of learning and we don't get a set opinion right away. We kind of allow for the process and one of the things that we find is there's a lot of perfectionism like there's no room for error and everything has to be done right away right now on time and we just say, we model self-compassion we model patience we model human beings struggle and it's okay to struggle those kind of things that really seem to resonate with the members because they sigh a little bit of a relief like really I don't have to know it all right now I don't have to fix it all right now it's like nope you just have to show up each week and then we'll work it out together you know everybody's different but most people really respond to that soft approach of like it's okay you you don't have to get it perfectly right the first time. There's tons of room for error in life, and relationships are about that, right? We have to figure it out, we have to make mistakes, and we have to offer grace and forgiveness and things like that and just learn to go along in life as it goes and it's not that you're not going to make a mistake it's just how are you going to recover how are you going to repair that rupture in your relationship how are you going to rebuild that relationship with your child who you know sees you stressed out and doesn't understand and so we're all about strengthening families and taking people where they are and accepting them where they are and not you know trying to change them but trying to support them and help them to grow at their own pace and in their own understanding and readiness
1: with that being said what are some of the treatments and, and things that are available to the families and the first responders that you guys are offering? I know depending on where you go, there's a host of different treatments that are available or gold standard changes from one area to another. What are some of the things that you guys are offering to your members and their families at the wellness center?
2: First and foremost, we're very humanistic and person-centered in our approach, which means we see the member as a person first and as a family member, and as a dad, as a husband, you know, as a wife as a spouse. So we just try to meet them where they are. So that's the first theory that we really all, most of us really use. And then from there, we have a bunch of different trauma modalities. We have EMDR or trauma-focused CPT. We're very trauma-informed. We all specialize in trauma. So we understand the trauma on the job, but we also understand how that trauma on the job affects the family and the different relationships. And so we're very aware of that. We have a very family-centered approach, or like we call it family systems, right? It's like where we look at the whole family, and the family works as a system. If one part of the system is off, the whole family suffers, right? So we're trying to figure out who's not doing well in the family and how can we support them so that the whole family will function better. And we want to see that. And that's why we treat the whole family here. And and that's how I got started. I was a therapist in private practice. And they would send me, um, say they were seeing a member and then his wife needed therapy or they needed couples therapy or something. And they had an overflow. They would call me. And then when there was an opening, they said, okay, come in and interview because we'd like to see if you'd be a good fit for the position. And So that's sort of how I got involved with first responders. And I love the population. There isn't a member that I don't just like really, really have a good heart to heart with every day and I just appreciate being part of the culture and the funny story is you know we'll have these big trainings and I I'll get there and I'll be frazzled from driving downtown LA and there'll be nowhere to park and then I'll see a peer supporter in his truck and he's like Melissa you know here pull in right there and he's directing traffic they're backing me out and I'm like right, I could get used to this kind of, like, behavior. Like, I feel that means like, you're
1: in the family. <laughs> yeah,
2: you get taken I feel care like of a queen. Them. I'm like, this you've is... You've been
1: a- accepted. Yeah. Yes, you've been accepted.
2: I, that's what I said. I said, I feel like they treat me so well. They're like, well, maybe you need to raise your standards, you know, yeah. if, you know, if you don't, you're not used to being treated that way. I'm like, I'll take it, you know, whatever it is. So it's really great. They're so kind to me, and I just take them in, you know, we just have heart-to-hearts, and I think that's what we provide a lot of heart, the humanistic part.
0: Mike and I talk about this a lot. The firehouse to me... And I'm sure it's true with EMS, law enforcement, corrections, dispatchers. Being around your crew sometimes is easier than dealing with the real life at home. Mm, Yeah. It's a safe place sometimes Mm -hmm. because it's very predictable. And I can hide my anger, sadness, depression behind calls or behind jokes at the firehouse. Some of the funniest people I've ever met in a firehouse were some of the saddest clowns behind the scenes, Mm -hmm. right? Unfortunately. Mm So do you find that whole person approach is really encompassing all of that? Like, of course, you're seeing things in the field, but at the same time, your kid might have something. Your marriage might be falling apart. You might have just lost a close relative or just something's going on that doesn't feel right. And you don't know what
2: hmm That's exactly it. You know, and I think that's how we approach it. You know, of course there's stress on the job, but it's the transition from work to home. We really do a lot of stress about like ground yourself before you get home, take some time for yourself, do your self-care. If you've had a rough night, give your partner the heads up, like it's been rough. I'm coming home. I need to go to bed and then I'll take the baby in an hour, or five hours, or, you know, we want them to balance their life and to, you know, kind of communicate their needs before it kind of blows up on them yeah. once they get home.
0: Yeah, Mike's talked to the decompression time we brought up with some other people from California. Actually, it's uh, the Dear Chief podcast. Very nice ladies who, who really, I think, champion that. Would you agree, Mike? Is It's really important to have a plan <laughs> for yes. when dad or mom is coming home yes. and the decompression between now and then.
1: Yeah, that re-entry time, I think, is something that, that really, I would say, up until the past couple of years really wasn't stressed. Jeff, you know that we would talk about when we got to the firehouse where... Yeah, I I was up for 24 hours. I got home and it was, you know, here's the baby. And and you're like, I haven't even switched off of work mode yet. Yeah, I think it's something that I'm I'm glad it's being talked about. It's part of your program as well, because that reentry time, let's face it, those 20, 30 minutes at the beginning of your day will change the rest of your day. You either start off on a bad note and then it just goes downhill from there. Or you have that reentry time, everything's good, and I can now deal with the next whatever it might be, 12, 24 hours, whatever your shift is. But, yeah, I'm glad that's part of the the whole approach that you're talking about is the family portion of it as well. Because sometimes that's more stressful than what you're dealing with at work.
0: Absolutely. Yeah, it works easy. It's not my family. It's other families. And I get to feel good at every call. Even the ones that don't turn out as good, I helped. Yes. And that's, I think, a safe place for a lot of us to not cope with some things maybe. And it sounds like you guys are offering a great approach to the whole family thing. We've done that too. So I'm glad we're doing that. It makes me feel good. You've been doing it for a while. So we're on the right page there. Cultural competency and not being pushy. We're doing that. How do you handle confidentiality? That's a big one.
2: That's huge. There's nothing you know more important because you know we really have to gain the trust of the member. And if we don't have the trust, we have nothing. You know, mm. So we train our peer supporters that when they get called in, everything's confidential. We really, really stand by that. We tell our members when they come in, this is confidential. We don't report to the department. We're hired by the union. We're here to support you, things like that. And I think that's the other part of our program that's very effective is we're separate from the department. So we don't do fit for duty or the things that can kind of get in the way. That's a barrier for people to try to get help help you know but when they know that like we're on their side we're in their union we're here for them they really like that a lot and once you have trust it's just like the pure right. part of giving me the parking spot right it's like a sign of respect once they trust you then they're gonna teach you the lingo that maybe
3: you messed up on or whatever right,
0: right? isn't it funny that we didn't prep her on some things and she's saying exactly what we've been and saying she's saying
3: exactly yeah yeah she's going right down the line and saying all the right things The question, too, that I think we should highlight and talk about in the setting is what happens when you have members that know someone is struggling and that person is unwilling to kind of like talk about it at this time? Or, you know, like, how do you guys help either peer supporters or just members who are not a part of the peer support program feel comfortable or at least encourage them to come and talk? Because that's our biggest thing.
0: Yeah, you're right, Manisha, because there's really two kinds of people. There's a person that knows they don't feel right and they seek help. And then there's the person who needs a buddy to take them to help. So how do you encapsulate those people?
2: That's a really good question too. We do it all kinds of different ways, you know, sort of also being in the community and seeing the friendly face is one way. And then it's like, oh, my captain noticed that I was struggling and then the captain will call me, but I want to hand you this name of this member, or this is my buddy who noticed that, uh, you know, something was going on in my family and I wasn't acting the same. And so they all, they'll call me, a friend will call me, somebody, will, you know, and then I'll just reach out very gently. Hey, how's it going? I'm Melissa. You can call me. This is my cell phone. So
0: somebody yeah. can drop a dime and
2: gently, they're not yeah. snitching. Right. Right.
0: Because that's confidential too. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Cause that's probably a big one. It's a like, little tricky, right? right? So
2: it's like, they refer to us and then I'll say to them what you tell me is confidential. So I'm not going to say like, so-and-so just call me and reported this. I'm just going to say, oh, hi, I'm Melissa from UFLAC checking in. I heard you're going through a hard time. I don't say where I heard it or just anything. just kind of leave an olive yeah. branch. Yeah, I said, you know, I'm here to talk if you ever need anything. And more than likely, they just go right into it. Well, okay. this just happened. It's almost and like
0: they needed to be they asked. You just need
2: to hear that soft voice of like, I'm here. I heard you're having a hard time. And that's all usually it yeah. takes, you know, once you can get them on the phone. Now, if you can't get them on the phone, that's the really heartbreaker, right? Because knowing that they're out there, but then not getting the help is the struggle that we all have that we just wish wish. we could reach everybody. And we have to just be gentle, we have to offer and we have to let them come when they're ready. Unless of course, it's an emergency or a critical incident or something like that, you know, but if it's just somebody struggling, we have to reach out and let them come when they're ready. And that's the hardest part for us.
3: That's a great way to do it. And I think that's kind of what people need to hear sometimes is just having the offer to reach out and then knowing that there's someone there to listen just in case they want to take us up on it later. So that's great that you guys do that in the space of still keeping it confidential where no one can know that. Because I think Mike and Jeff, when you guys say that's the biggest thing is that kind of sometimes anyone knowing in the it's, department? When not you even say just confidentiality,
0: like, you're saying is I can completely trust your entire process to protect me through this. That's what I'm hearing. And I think that's confidentiality to me equals trust. If it's strictly confidential, then you can offload a lot of things. It's literally like having a private practice therapist who legally can't say a word that's also under the umbrella of your local union. This is literally what we're doing and trying to accomplish. You know, although FST5 doesn't employ all the therapist, clinicians, and peer supporters, we're certainly creating a network of verified culturally competent clinicians to kind of support that.
3: Yeah, that's exactly what we're doing. And so I think for our organization and and for this program as a whole, we want to make sure that first responders know that this can be a first stop for them and it can be a one stop shop in terms of getting them the resources that they need. And I think when it comes to finding the right peer supporters and then also finding the right clinicians and, and people that have the same kind of thought process as we do, it can be hard sometimes. So I think it's important for people to be able to know that they can trust whether it's someone on their peer team or someone else getting them to someone who can.
1: I think that goes back to even what Jeff was talking about earlier on in the podcast here, where if a firefighter gives you a card and says, hey, call this number, this guy will take care of you. That's where people learn to trust the peer support, the wellness systems, whatever it may be. Because usually when they're giving that phone number, they're like, hey, give this person a call because I use them. They're good. No one even knew that I called. They tell two friends and then they tell two friends and so on and so on. You can tell people until you're blue in the face that it's confidential. But until somebody goes through it and somebody sees the confidentiality of what they talk to you about and not a soul on the department heard about it, that's where you actually build that trust. You could tell them a million times that, oh, we you know we have strict confidentiality policies and they'll go, OK, sure, sounds good. But that literally is the one thing that's really going to change it. It's that word of mouth. And you just have to do what you say. Lay your cards out on the table. Don't bullshit them. And that's really what's going to change the tide and build that trust for the most part.
2: And we have on-call schedules and we have cell phones. And so it's not like we have to be in the office nine to five. We try to keep good boundaries and work-life balance, but we also answer our phone, you know, because we understand the importance. So we try not to overdo it, but...
0: You're just we, more flexible Yeah, than most. I just
2: tell them like, you know what? if you need help, you know, I will fit you in, you just let me know, you know, and that's just the kind of rapport that we build. And thankfully, we have enough man and woman power right. to get that done. And we are supported so well. And our team, I want to shout out to my team, other therapists, director, amazing people, you know, they really care, they really put it all out there for everybody. And they work really hard. And so it just it all goes together. And I think the captains and the chiefs, they, they trust us, they call us, they bring us into the loop. And we do our best to do right by them, you know, and, and make sure people get the care that they
0: need. That's huge. I think just getting everybody to know it's available. People have been through it. It's okay. Call. And the fact that you guys are growing your operation is proof that you're helping people. Mm-hmm. That's what matters. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. If it's not helping people, they're not going to let right. you keep occupying mm-hmm. this building.
2: Right, right. Exactly. They're
0: going to earn a keep. <laughs> yeah. Right. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, well, that's, I mean, it's needed. It's a yeah, necessary resource. It it's like your system of first responders in this area under that demographic has recognized they need that support there, the structures there, and then you can work out a relationship between the care providers, the insurance, and mm-hmm. all that, and make it work. It can be done mm-hmm. for a couple of thousand people. Right. Ish people exactly. hopefully we can do that for the 60,000 i don't even know misha how many people frontline workers do we have
3: oh we don't have as many as we need in the state of michigan because a lot of our departments are understaffed but we are covering all 83 counties in the wow. state That's so cool. close to like 75 wow
0: got to be. Mm-hmm. It's got to be at yeah. least that, right? And, at you know, you know, the, yeah. the, what's great about what you guys have here is that you have a big enough organization to kind of support that, whereas we're trying to link all the resources together to kind of mirror a system of care like you have, and hopefully we can accomplish that. They're alike enough in mission, I think, that we're this is some really good stuff we're taking back. Mm-hmm. And one of the last things I want to cover is the barrier to care is always the stigma. Mm-hmm. So no matter how many captains, battalion chiefs, firefighters, wives, kids, husbands come in here, there's a pile of people who are calling them sissies.
2: Mm-hmm.
0: <laughs> yes, <definitely>. <laughs> <laughs> right? Yes. There's there's the people yes. and if, if you haven't looked at our YouTube comments. Check them out. <laughs> It'll definitely yeah. tell you. Yeah, there are people done. out there that tell you to suffer in silence, mm-hmm. right? Yes. So what is the stance on stigma here? How does that get addressed between the line personnel and you guys? Mm-hmm.
2: We definitely honor that concept. We know the stigma is real. We know it's rough, you know. But we also know that these... Younger, not, not just younger. No, I'm not even going to take that back. They don't have to be younger. People have changed their idea about it. They really have evolved a lot. And I've seen it with my own eyes. And the firefighters have led the way. They make their little PowerPoints. They bring them in. They do their podcasts. They're saying, like, we want to do what we can. We know this is a real thing. Stress is real. You know, trauma is real. The response that it has on person and on their family is very real. So they just validate it. You know, they just normalize it by putting it out there. And so it helps us. Really, they're the ones who kind of decrease the stigma well, we don't really decrease it. We just try to be a nice, happy face when they come in, you know, and we try to promote, but really they're the ones destigmatizing it with their social media and, you know, all the podcasts and things like that. That's why these are so important. That's why, thank you so much for having me today, because I know the importance of just getting it out there in any form. It's really important.
0: Yeah, and I think you would agree. If you just keep talking about it, the boogeyman becomes less real. Yeah
2: exactly like shame lives in the dark, right? That's what we always say, like shine a light on the shame and it will evaporate, you know, and if you feel bad about something, just say it, you know, just own right. it and then like let it go away. And that's kind of what we're trying to do. We're trying to just like shine a light on anything that used to be thought of as shameful and just say like you're humans, every human struggles, come on in, we've got food, we've got, you know, whatever you need, right. we, we try to take care of people and make sure that there's always food here, we have a kitchen table, we bring our peer supporters in and give them food and breakfast burritos or whatever Whatever you you need to do
0: and i think once they you allow that then the real work can begin Mm -hmm. because it's i mean all you're doing at that and not all you're doing what you're accomplishing at that point is allowing them to then talk about what's going on Mm -hmm. and then figure out what to do Mm -hmm. because what mike needs what i need what manisha needs what you need is going to be all different based on our circumstances chemistry timing there's a lot of factors there
3: I think what also one of the bigger things, and I'm not sure if you're seeing this, Dr. O'Keefe, is that our peer support networks has like grown significantly in the state of Michigan. And we have even a stronger network of first responders who are willing to kind of talk through what brought them to asking for help, what brought them to like needing that extra hand and needing that extra space. So do you guys have that in your group there? Like, do you guys have peer supporters or even if they're not a part of the peer support team, just first responders who are willing to kind of share their stories?
2: Yes, we do. And you're right. That's so effective. We'll have somebody with a bunch of years on, you know, come to our probationary meetings that we have with the class and they'll say, you know, I struggled and I was embarrassed and I didn't want to talk about it. But after I did, I was so supported and now I'm 10 years sober or whatever it is, right? We we also have a really great addiction section here at all the treatment centers and we get people the help they need confidentially if possible. So that they trust us a lot, because if you call us first before you get in trouble, we can help you, right? You don't want to wait till you get in trouble. So that's kind of our prevention kind of mindset. It's just like, give us a call. We really will have your back. We will do whatever we can to work with people to get you the help that you need so that you're going to be okay. And so that's sort of why we have the good reputation, because we go above and beyond to really do that for our members.
0: That's huge.
1: One thing I want to touch on. That the good doctor brought up is that a couple of her peer supporters have a podcast. And Jeff and I, we love to promote other people's podcasts. They're moving the ball forward when it comes to first responder mental health. So why don't you give a shout out to the podcast? Uh, give let a everybody plug know where have... they can find
2: Yes, two of our finest peer supporters. Um, They have a podcast called Grab Lives, and they interview all kinds of people, yoga teachers, you know, ways to decrease trauma. Um, They have different therapists. They have us on there. They have, you name it. You know, they really think outside of the box, and they're really normalizing mental health in our department, and it's really exciting to see, and they're just really great guys, too. You know, they put their heart into helping other people, and they show up when you call them, and so we're really grateful to have them and to have such a positive podcast going on that's so supportive. and so real, like they, they really talk from the heart, from their own experience, which is so like you're talking about so powerful, right? Because they say like, I struggled, but I got help and I'm doing a lot better and you can too. And that's the magic of it. So that's why we really always try to shout out to them because the the work they're doing is really great. It's very helpful.
0: Yeah. I listened to an episode last night and they're pretty, they're pretty raw about it. Mm -hmm, They're mm -hmm. straightforward. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. They're kitchen table style talk Mm -hmm. of let's just actually be real about Mm -hmm. it address the issues. And like Mike, we like to just you know push everybody up we can, mm-hmm. and you know check out Grab Lives, very good stuff. Uh, although it's designed really for the City of Los Angeles Fire Department, its members really the stuff they talk about is very human, right. just like mines in the front line. We're we're based in Michigan, our system's designed for our Michigan frontline workers, but. The podcast itself is to just get the information out there and enjoy these conversations and then direct people to more resources like Grab Lives.
2: Exactly. Yes.
0: Well, it's been an absolute pleasure sitting down with you.
2: Thank you. You too. Thank you so much for Thanks having for me. On. So nice to be here. Thanks for you. coming Thank on. Thank you.
0: I'm going you. to eat tacos for the third day in a row. <laughs> yes, definitely. And I'm so excited. <laughs> Thank you to Dr. O'Keefe and Manisha for joining us on the Minds on the Frontline podcast. We hope everyone enjoyed this episode. We have more great content coming out soon. Please check us out on YouTube, Instagram, Facebook, and make sure to like and subscribe to all Minds on the Frontline podcast social media channels. Thank you and have a great day.